0: Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Just the Basics. I'm Tommy. I'm Matt. And we're keeping the beat for you once a week. This week we are going to talk about something a little extra special to us. Mm-hmm. Well, mostly to Matt, but I like it too. It's, it's it's pretty fun. Uh we're we're gonna talk a little bit about some gypsy jazz. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> gypsy jazz. A Manoosh. A What does that even mean?
1: The manouche is just another word for it. I think it's oh, the, the okay. French word for the gypsies. Their uh, own word okay. is the Romani. Gypsies considered gotcha. a slur, even though everyone says it pretty much all over the world. <laughs> so I think there'll be a day when we're not allowed to say gypsy, but some but people now, might say, okay.
0: <laughs> well, everyone
1: calls it gypsy jazz. So if you get offended by this, sorry.
0: I mean, I don't know what else you'd call it. Django jazz. I mean...
1: They they call it uh, hot club jazz. They call it manouche yeah, jazz. Hot club. Um, what's well, because there was one other one that a was hot weird. club
0: quintet or something like that.
1: Yeah, I think it was literally just ripping off that. So yeah, that's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> we have to take a little bit away from Django. He already has so much of it.
0: <laughs> oh man! Not even five minutes in, we're already talking about Django. Uh huh. Gypsy jazz, you can't really separate that from Django. It's like they go hand in hand. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because like if you, if you want to listen to gypsy jazz, like if you just go into YouTube and you search gypsy jazz, you'll find a lot of like younger guys playing it, and then you'll find Django and nothing in between.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I feel like there's a lot more college students starting to play gypsy jazz just because it's fun, it's high energy, and it's very technical.
1: I think part of that is that it's uh, it's popular in Europe, mm-hmm. but it's kind of there. Like we have our folk folk music here with all the hipsters trying to act like they're from the woods playing folk music. And then over there, their folk music is this gypsy jazz style. So you'll hear it a lot more or just renditions of it that are pretty close. Because like you said, it's a it's like a folk music style. And the instrumentation is very folk, mm-hmm. so there might be some people out there that don't play the jazz tradition side of it, but it still gets pretty doggone close. It just might not mm-hmm. have the improv.
0: That's true. Yeah, it's it's an interesting art form that I think is really cool. So it started over in Paris, uh, correct? Back in like the twenties.
1: Well, I mean, I guess technically it started in the uh, in in the caravans. Django was growing True. up and hearing all of the gypsy music, and then he was hearing records of of Lewis and El and Ellington and the other guys over in America playing jazz. And he grew up from a young age, like many of the uh, the gypsy boys, there do playing a guitar and playing with accordion players and fiddle players banjo players he actually started on the banjo not a guitar so he grew up with the gypsy music style it's just he started to integrate the traditions that were coming over from america and were getting popular in france and um he didn't uh, because he lived with the gypsies obviously he didn't live in paris he would go into paris so you can they go hand in hand that so I'm pretty sure he was born in Hungary. When I read his biography, uh, it was a long, a Belgian, Belgium, Yeah. So he, he was born in the countryside of Belgium. He grew up eating hedgehogs and catching Ooh. fish with his hands. And I wonder
0: uh, what hedgehogs taste like?
1: I don't know. I'm not sure I want to know. They're too cute, but that is a delicacy of the, uh, the Romani culture. <laughs> 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 it's a bit weird, but whatever. I mean, they. I, I'm. I think hedgehogs get pretty big in Europe compared to what we're used to with the little pets. But uh, poor Sonic. Bye, bye, Sonic. Maybe that's why they play so fast.
0: <laughs> they it's absorb the, the power
1: of Sonic. Yeah, <laughs> right. but anyway, yeah. The, the the Gypsy Jazz really did start to grow and flourish in. Mm-hmm. Paris, in those clubs, in those, uh, those night clubs. I know that Django himself, he, he played a lot on the streets of Paris um, during the day, and then would play in the clubs in the night. So he'd, he'd busk on the streets, make some money, and he'd gig in the clubs playing with, um, like I said, accordionists. I think there was a specific accordion player that he grew up playing with, but I don't remember their name, and I didn't look that up in my research but it some person that never accordion. really took off
0: yeah I, I don't know about accordion i know he did play a lot with um violin yeah well. there
1: there was like an accordion player that he grew up playing with mm-hmm. um accordion itself is pretty prevalent in the style especially just gypsy music in general and that's why a lot of gypsy jazz and the styles uh imitate. Accordions. It mm-hmm. might be like, wait, really? But then if you just have to listen closely enough to hear that that's kind of that that French flavor. Because whenever you hear an accordion start playing, you usually think of Venice or Paris. And mm-hmm. it, it's that tone and the way that an accordion player plays that slipped into the guitar players. So they it's kind of like over here where our guitar players imitate piano players. Over there, it's right. the accordion that got imitated. So it's...
0: That explains of the guitar a lot of sounds.
1: Pl- yeah, yeah. The guitar players tried to get piano players fired over here by getting good enough. Over there, they would try to get the accordion player fired by playing good enough. <laughs> so There's a lot like of guitar the, the, players the trying to blazing fast lines. Well, we just want to be that good that you don't need anybody else. <laughs> I mean, the the Gypsy Jazz guys got so good, they didn't need drummers. But that's, that's, that's true.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, no, that's true, too. It's probably just <laughs> a lack of having drum sets around. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: I, I now, feel I, like... Who, what caravan wants to lug a drum set around? We would already know that just getting it from a car into a building is a pain oh, in the
0: butt. gosh. I know, especially <laughs> when the drummer's not there to help you do it. I don't, never yeah, understood don't. why we did that. <laughs> um... But you were talking about them playing fast and everything. I I think that part of them, the speed that they play, I feel like that kind of uh, exemplifies the carefree attitude, happy of the the gypsies. Because like Django, he would, when he wasn't playing, he was all about talking to people, socializing, Mm -hmm. and being real laid back about things. I think that the type of, you can kind of hear that in his playing.
1: Yeah. With the speed can,
0: and the upbeat stuff, it sounds happy all the time. Very I don't know that he was happy, but. Right. Oh,
1: he. he I was, don't know if he was himself
0: goofy? was happy, but that culture just seems to have that as part of it.
1: Yeah, he had a bit of a carefree goofball streak. Uh, fell in love young, which mm-hmm. I think that, I think it wasn't really young for their culture, but.
0: Yeah, he was 17 when he got married.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's that weird. Over there, but um to us it might sound a little weird, but only to an extent.
0: I mean to today's culture, uh you and I at the times that we got married, we we're both young. Yeah compared to nowadays, people don't get married now until pretty late. Yeah. I remember when I told people I was engaged, they would look at me and they're like, What? How how old are you? I'm like, I'm twenty four, I'm married and got a kid on the way, and nobody the people don't believe me. They're like, What are you thinking? I've had so many people ask me, what are you thinking? Hey, that's way too young. I'm like, well, it's too late to change it now, so I don't <laughs> know why you're telling me this.
1: <laughs> what are we going to do? Ship the baby off the bars?
0: <laughs> yeah, like I, I can't change that, but whatever. Anyways,
1: <laughs> make it a
0: rocket band. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh Mr. Django.
1: Gosh. Mr. Django and his guitar. Um,
0: I, I think a big part of the uh, Gypsy Jazz sound is obviously the guitars and the instrumentation that they use.
1: Yeah, yeah. You you have a bunch of instruments that can be taken anywhere with you wherever you mm-hmm. go in the world and also work for sitting next to the campfire late into the night while people dance to your wonderful music. Right. So obviously the guitar acoustic, is that is that person's best
0: friend. <laughs> right, and needing the acoustic in the in the you know the acoustic nature of the instrument and needing it to be self-amplified and uh not needing electricity to play it Mm -hmm. yeah i now matt go ahead you might know the answer to this the uh the bass i know they did play acoustic bass in that gypsy style but they didn't do that until they came over to the states right
1: i haven't seen anything of Django playing with the bass um he could have maybe he did in the clubs where there might have been like a, a french player there Mm -hmm. but i don't know how much like walking bass line or well they didn't really use walking bass lines in gypsy but
0: well that that cell of five had a bass
1: okay so then they would have had a bass player to some extent but i don't think they were frequent because it's certainly not the most portable instrument
0: Right, that's what I was thinking. Now, and even his though Hot he five, stuck around he was,
1: Paris, he still had to move a little bit, especially later in life when the Nazis moved in.
0: Right. His uh, club playing had a bass player. And his French clubs that he played in, he had a bass player that played with him, uh, Louis Vola. Hmm. But other than that, I don't think he really did a whole lot. I think just because, like you said, the portability of it.
1: Yeah. And, and there plus, are every some time- bass players that are prevalent in Mm -hmm. in this in the style it's just they don't unfortunately for them they just don't have that much of a role to play like they have the easiest bluegrass style of playing when they're playing along with it just because it would be way too busy if they were playing legit walking Yeah, exactly
0: yeah that's what i was gonna say because there's so much going on, they're basically like a rhythmic foundation, kind of with the La, La Pomp, whatever you call that, guitar rhythmic style.
1: Yeah, and the rhythm guitar player for, and the, Gypsy Jazz is the one style where lead player and rhythm player are actually appropriate, because they're two different guitars. And mm-hmm. we'll talk about that in a second, but the rhythm guitar player, that player has trained himself to not only play his his accompaniment part, but also bass lines. Walking bass lines, pretty much. So um, a lot of the time, a bass player simply isn't necessary because of that rhythm player hitting his guitar so hard, it pretty much takes over the job of a bass player. So that player would have to hold back in order Mm -hmm. to allow for a bass player to hop in and play, which maybe it would make it easier for him, but a lot of those players don't need it. They only need two guitar players, and that's it.
0: Right. Well, it's part of the culture of it, being able to move around, just play it with your friends around a campfire, you know? Yeah. yeah. The more people you need, the harder it is to do that sort of thing. Like, whenever we'd play our duo gigs, I would kind of, I'd play very percussively, especially on the upright bass. Mm -hmm. You'd hear lots of clicks on that sort of thing to try to drive it so we didn't need a drummer.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I'd kind of try to replicate the the hi-hat with the, the pops of the strings against the fingerboard.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: It uh seemed to work pretty well in my opinion. I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> it was always I fun, think, I think so.
1: Yeah, it was always driving and never felt that empty. Uh, yeah. The recordings it... that we had always sounded nice. So, playing a role with like with a strip down, you have to mm-hmm. take over pieces of other instruments in order to fill all the space. That's one of the most fun and also the most intimidating things of duo playing at least in solo playing you kind of just show off what you can do on your own instrument yes you can take over different roles and stuff but there's more of a responsibility once you add the second player
0: right at that point
1: it's now like you're now trying to create a quartet out of a duo and then that's where the the gold lies of making it really work is when you Mm -hmm. fill out all of the roles and and run with it so the gypsy guys those two players they they sound like they can fill a stadium (laughs) pretty much no matter who you listen to even if it's not django if it's just a couple of guys it is incredible how much sound and space they take up when they play
0: now, is that a factor of their technique, or is that a factor of the instruments, or a little bit of both? Both. Okay, because I know that their guitars are a little different.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. There's, there's two different guitars that uh, this style uses. Yeah, you can whip out any guitar potentially, but you won't get the same tone or volume that the, uh, the O-shaped Petite Bouche. So there's like a little egg sound hole that is the quote-unquote lead guitar. And then there's a D-shaped Grand Bouche guitar. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. I don't even care. I don't speak French. (laughs) And then that's the rhythm guitar. And that sound hole is massive. And I think that is a lot of the reason that they take up a ton of volume and space. Because those things can really project. Right. I think the uh the scale is very weird i've been, i have never played a gypsy guitars myself i've never had the opportunity but i've been told that they feel really really doggone weird to someone that's used to normal guitars they're not scaled hmm. the same way
0: i did not know that part about it
1: yeah i've never knew picked about one the up to tremble. see if they're comfortable i don't even know if they're tuned the same way cuz i've never looked that up i think they are uh just because actually there's pretty much no way that they're not because on the video the, the guy said G minor and he was on the third fret. So I think that was, that means they're doing the same way, but
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, know I think a lot of that is on... the,
1: the sound hole.
0: Right. I, I think from looking at them, I, I don't know, maybe, I, I don't know if you have any insight on this, but to me, it looks like a string spacing is wider as well, which would let you dig in more. It looks more mm-hmm. like a bass type of string spacing where they're just a little bit farther apart.
1: I think that's, uh, that's because they're close to classical guitars, Mm -hmm. which is part of the reason that, um, they probably feel weird because classical guitars feel very different from, from modern guitars. So that's probably why the string spacing is closer to a classical instrument.
0: Okay. Yeah. It's just, every time I see it in a video, it looks like the string spacing is kind of wide, but
1: yeah. Probably when you're, when you're
0: actually playing it, when you're the rhythm guitar, they have that La pumps or La, how do you say it? La Pump? La Pump? I don't know how to say that. The Pump. The Pump. The Chong Chong Chong. Yeah. They call it to La me, Pump. To me, that kind of sounds pump. a little bit like Freddie Green style playing, just yes. heavier.
1: Yeah. It, it is exactly the same technique. It's just for uh, for all purposes, it's much faster. That's mm-hmm. it. Like Freddie Green's style was in a music that has slower tempos. Right. So the chonk, 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 it's more chonk, where this is more pop, 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 because it's so much right. faster. It's the same technique of a drug pop, drug out pop, drug out pop, where the first and the third beats, they, they drag out a little, not like rhythmically drag, that just it's more legato to a staccato. Legato, staccato, 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 it's and it's very, 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 yeah, exactly, it's, it's, it's very, very, very percussive, so that's why you don't really need a drummer, because you can hear the, from the playing.
0: Yeah, (laughs) because typically, like in swing, you have the ride going ting, 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 but the hi-hat going one, two, three, four, it has the accents on two and four. And mm-hmm. the lap pump, the, the big hits are on two and four, the staccato ones. It gives a really nice driving feel to it. And that's, like you said, that's why you don't need a drummer, because it's literally right there. You can't, if you can't hear that, then you probably shouldn't be playing mm-hmm. in a gypsy band. <laughs> Which is why
1: the rhythm guitarists serve such a, uh, a crucial role to it, that they, they have to be a living metronome. They can't right. speed up. They can't slow down. They, have, they really can't slow down. So at the speed Kinda that like they're bass playing player. Exactly. Yeah, they they have to be that ingrained in the rhythm and they cannot they can't falter, which you might be like, "Okay, well, if they get good enough then, then that that's not that tricky. Like everyone else is playing and you just stick together and you're fine." Well, when you're playing that fast and you're playing that pump strumming, you get tired. So they have to have the stamina to keep up with that which it right. gets tricky after a while. You get tired after that's
0: yeah. That's and a th- lot you that you have to hit anything.
1: hard. And yeah, you're exactly. also doing all the other stuff. So I, 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 you might be able to forget that your arm is falling off just because there's so many passing chords and such that you have to
0: play. <laughs> hey, but you can't forget a single chord because if you even try to forget one, if you come close to forgetting one, it could throw your whole thing off because it's moving by so quick. Mm hmm. Yeah. <laughs> now, because it's so percussive, you probably could get away with just muting all the strings just for a sure. couple of hits while you remember yeah. it. Because yeah. it's kind of hard to hear those chords coming out of there. But you shouldn't do that. Mm. No. no, you still need them. Cheating ways to get through. That's how. That's what we teach you on just the basics. How to cheat? <laughs> <laughs> like in uh, playing classical stuff, I was playing a Bach Prelude for a recital. And uh, I forgot what was next. So I just repeated the same section I just played because I couldn't and remember what I was supposed to go to. The only person that noticed was my professor who looked at me and smiled because he told me to do it if I forgot what I was going to do.
1: Hey, but I mean, it works. Exactly. It's just adding or repeat. You know, especially There's when you're playing solo.
0: Yeah. So if you're playing La pump and you forget the chords, just. You all the strings and just hit it hard.
1: <laughs> I mean, you, d- you certainly can't go back and repeat what you just played in that.
0: <laughs> Not in that style of music, no. Yeah, you can't do that. What'd you do? I went back to the start. I got lost. <laughs> you know, like, what I are you talking about? <laughs> do that. I think for sure that happened to us when we are playing gigs, that somebody forgot, forgot where they were and decided just to start at the beginning. Probably they were been trying to hop where... in
1: where they thought a two five one was going back to the start and didn't realize it was like going to the B section or something,
0: right? Because we've had gigs where people have gotten lost and been so far off that we're like almost had to stop playing because yeah. somebody's not paying attention. and It's like what I just don't get it.
1: Anyways. Part of the problem is that uh, just for you listeners, if you have that kind of a situation where you do get lost if you're playing with people that are such jerks that you can't admit that you're lost and they'll help you get back or like give them a look and they can help you figure out where the heck you are. You're just not playing with the right people. Like that's not yeah. the kind of community that is necessary in jazz. Like you'll get lost. So, so the heck what I was one of the better players back in college and we, I would get lost and then I'd figure out where Tommy was and hop right back in it never yeah. was that much of a problem and or Tommy and I would fall off the beat from each other. Cause we were experimenting too much. And then we'd have to get back on the same track without actually stopping or mm-hmm. like getting mad at each other or anything. Like you're just supposed to be having fun. So if you're too scared of your other players, you really, you would rather have to get to know them better and learn that they are not the jerks you think they are, or you'll discover that you're not playing with the people that you should be playing with. And you need to find a more, Yeah. Encouraging community of players where you can admit, where are we?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) If we're in the middle of giant steps and I have no idea where you people are.
0: (laughs) Well, if you're in the middle of giant steps and you don't know where you are, you probably should just stop playing. Well, I mean, if you're in the
1: middle of giant steps and don't know where you are, you can probably get away with pretty much anything and just hope that someone takes over the melody at some
0: point. (laughs) I suppose you're right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing, too. Don't be afraid to stop playing. I mean, if if you're trying to play the melody and you don't know where you are, you know, if you if you drop out for a second, it's not going to be the end of the world. Or if you're playing the chords and somebody else is playing a solo or playing the melody, and you got the bass players going and the solos going, but you're not playing what the bass players playing, just take a second and drop out until you can figure out where you are. It, it's okay. It's not the end of the world.
1: Things sound a whole lot worse to you than it does to the audience. Like you might think. Some things that you do, like, I can't mm-hmm. do that. People will know I really screwed up. No, they won't. No. They, yeah, just they really do it won't. with
0: a smile on your face and act like it's on purpose.
1: Yeah, as long as you don't act like it's the end of the world, then you'll be fine, which I think is kind of a good thing to take from this gypsy style of playing, of just being happy and enjoying yourself and being carefree and just playing the heck out of the music.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw Dennis Chambers get lost once. Uh, live we were uh, as a Victor Wooten concert and he's soloing and he's ripping through Dennis Chambers an amazing drummer for you guys that don't know and he's just shredding then all of a sudden he just stops playing and he goes ah and uh, the other two guys just started laughing at him and then he goes straight back into it because he had got so far off it was like okay we don't know what's going on anymore <laughs> it was hilarious um, anyways let's get back to gypsy jazz yeah <laughs> So when I listen to Gypsy Jazz and, you know, listen to the types of sounds that the lead player is getting and everything, I feel like that the, the whole thing about it is these guys, I know you said they're trying to emulate the, um, the accordion a little bit as far as note choice, that sort of thing. But I think technique wise that these guys really were pushing guitar before most people even knew how to push a guitar
1: yeah especially considering the kind of guitar they're playing cuz if you think of this as a classical guitar they are insane they're the big. extent that they go to cuz this is a, getting close to or among the time that there are electric guitars in the US and you will hear uh, electric gypsy players
0: mm-hmm. a bit
1: it doesn't sound right you really, really ha- you have to get a gypsy guitar to play Gypsy jazz properly, because otherwise it, it it just doesn't sound right. They're, they're playing the notes that jazz players play, that bebop players play. So this is it. Really, is an instrumentation and a rhythmic style choices that really make gypsy jazz what it's supposed to be. So you pick up the gypsy guitar, you can't just play things normally because the the guitarist they whip out every single. Of the technique tool set that you can imagine Mm -hmm. when they're playing. There are trills, there are bends, there are slides, ghost notes, hammer ons, harmonics, octaves. There's every single thing that you could possibly imagine slipping into your guitar playing is going to happen in this style. And yes, there are a couple that you can hang around in because you can um you can rely on arpeggiating. If you get really good with arpeggios. You can hold your own in uh gypsy jazz just because a lot of players that's all they do. They just know right how to play the arpeggio over every single chord that they encounter. And I mean, you can't really go wrong arpeggiating the right chord. You'll have yeah, the right notes.
0: That's true. The other thing that they do that I've I noticed a lot of is the phrasing on gypsy jazz guitar playing is amazing. They start High and drop low, or start low and drop high, and they use the entire key of the fretboard. So they'll start out in like the open position and end at the highest note that you can play on the guitar, all for one phrase.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: it could be a really short phrase; it could be like five bars, and they'll do that because yeah, the, the, the technique is so good.
1: It's kind of if you watch them play, it's almost like watching the the virtuoso guys like Steve Vai when they're playing and their fingers mm-hmm. are moving lightning fast, and they're just throwing out all these notes in your face so quickly and you're just like, good gracious. But Steve Vai gets to hide behind gain and distortion. No offense to him. The Gypsy Jazz player has to get all those notes with the correct technique on their awkward guitar. Mm
0: -hmm. That
1: is not an easy thing to do, to play that fast on an acoustic instrument. And um,
0: And keep it that way. Those of you
1: that are guitar players probably know that it's much easier to play fast on your electric guitar than it is on your acoustic guitar mm-hmm. because your technique has to be that good while you play that fast to get those notes to come out properly so you'll see these guys blaze from the bottom of their neck to the very tippy top fret on the first string and it's just like oh my goodness they make it look easy effortless they do
0: can you imagine if you gave them a an electric guitar like a shredding guitar with this a- the strings basically on the fingerboard and the fan frets and all that stuff it probably make most guitars
1: throw the guitars into the dumpster
0: oh my gosh these guys are just phenomenal especially the nine-year-olds
1: these the the, oh gosh the romani they get started when they're little kids and they'll be playing better than you ever will
0: (laughs) the django didn't start till he was 12 so he was a late bloomer (laughs)
1: Yeah, he didn't pick it up until later because his his mother wanted him to be a craftsman, apparently. Mm -hmm. Um, He also was into painting. So when he was in the painting studios, that's when he started to hear jazz, apparently. I'd never read that before last night. So I don't know if that's truly accurate. But hey, I I saw it somewhere.
0: (laughs) Hey, it's in a book. It must be real. It's on the Internet.
1: He did he did have Vayner paintings, So you could go and buy a Django Reinhardt painting. So no matter what, that part's true, unless there's a faker. Hmm. Um
0: a faker. That's funny. Well, there's all sorts of fake art out there, so who knows?
1: Another thing that that uh I saw that I don't I don't know if I'd necessarily say that it's a, a gypsy jazz uh technique or anything. It's just it was part of the things you will hear and uh how you can phrase If you're playing gypsy jazz, it's um, the term encirclement, which that's just a normal jazz thing of when you're playing all those notes, you need a way to get from one chord to a next chord to get between the chord tones. And encirclement is when you approach a chord tone by playing the, the notes that are just around it. So if you want to get to an E, then you play an F and an E flat going into that E. And that's all that Uh, that. like
0: those exercises that I hate to play where instead of playing C, E, G, B, you'd play like B, D, C, then D, F, E, then F,
1: A, G. Yeah, right. Right. So you're just circling around the the tone that you're going to. So you'll hear that. Um, You'll you'll hear sequencing, not uh, well, you'll hear sequencing that that's uh, some amazing uh, obviously sequences. that's obviously <laughs> going to happen but there's also sequencing of techniques so you'll hear one thing and then play the those exact same notes maybe with slight rhythmic difference but with different guitar techniques interesting. so maybe okay. it will be trilled the first time but the next time there'll be like a bend involved so there'll be some technique sequencing which is an interesting thing i've never really thought about in my playing and i don't really think i've identified with my ear before but um i was reading about that being part of the gypsy repertoire of playing that way and i was like oh that makes sense if you have that many ways it of playing does make sense you can sequence the way that you just play the exact same thing and play it slightly differently and that makes yeah. total sense
0: it's <laughs> actually a really cool idea i've never done that with my bass playing before but i think that could actually add some new layers of stuff
1: yeah, yeah. I think that that of everything that I read, that was the most like oh huh. I, I think yeah. I could do something with that. That that's interesting. Because I I I even like oddly enough, kinda of do that in my teaching with my students. Like when they have something that they want to learn and I'm trying to show them how to play that part, I'll usually show them the different techniques they could use to to play it a lot of time that just means are you going to pluck the doggone notes or are you going to use hammer-ons and (laughs) a lot of time they don't Mm -hmm. use hammer-ons because their fingers aren't strong enough yet but um i kind of already do that in my teaching of using every single technique possible to try to learn how to play something but i never thought of doing that as a sequence that's an interesting approach to soloing, besides just sequencing in general.
0: I like that idea. I think that creates create some really interesting textures. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I hear a lot in Gypsy Jazz is um, they they like to use some of the the upper structure, like the nine and the six. They like to hang on those a lot, which you don't hear in a lot of other forms of music. So... They'll play a line and end on the nine and just hang on that before continuing their phrase or before going down. Or they'll do the same thing on the six rather than just the one, three, five, and seven.
1: Right? Yeah, the six makes sense because of how often their chords just are six chords. That's mm-hmm. their that's their bread and butter. Um, as far as a chord player goes, you, if you're playing a minor chord, it better be a six. If it it's sounds a major, more complete. Right. If it's a major chord, it better be a six nine. If it's a dominant, then play a dominant. Um, that the reason for that is uh, we didn't really talk about, it, but we've talked about it in a past uh, podcast. Is that Django when he was young, he was in his uh, little caravan wagon, whatever, knocked over I can't a candle. We almost
0: didn't tell the story.
1: Yeah, yeah. He knocked over <laughs> a candle. It lit. Uh, some artificial flowers his wife had made on fire. The caravan caught on fire by a miracle. He was drug out, but his hand was deformed. So he only had proper use of two of his right hands, uh, whoops, left hands, uh, fingers, his, his one and two to those that are guitar players. So his ring finger and his pinky were deformed and practically unusable in the while he was still in the hospital he spent most of his time trying to figure out how can i still play guitar and he worked his hand back up to the point that he could use his third and fourth finger slightly but he never really got them back so a lot of the techniques of gypsy jazz are based upon two fingers um that's why a lot mm-hmm. of arpeggios in gypsy jazz are no more than two notes per um per string so that's why you'll you'll hear the notes fly from a low note to a top note just because it's only hitting so kind of the same way that a uh, a sweet picker will only hit a note or two per string Mm -hmm. that's the same sort of thing that happens in gypsy jazz but they have the reasoning because django could only use two fingers efficiently at least fast And that made the chord structures all change to a lot of six chord shapes, because those only really required two fingers to get away with. So a lot of minor sixes and a lot of six nines.
0: Which, when you think about that, it just makes everything about Gypsy Jazz that much more amazing. And more uh, specifically about Django Reinhardt, the fact that he basically had the use of the two fingers on on his left hand, and he was able to play... With that amazing technique and sound, oh my gosh.
1: Right, right. It's uh, amazing. A lot of the time, if there's, say, the standard calls for a major chord, a lot of the time, they would sub in a minor 6 chord over that and leave the entire song to be minor. Because the, the minor key and the minor tone is so indicative of the style. That mm-hmm. if you say you have a C major, they might play an A minor six or an E minor six instead. They'll be subbing well, in over those. It's the same
0: thing. Yes. Yeah, it's exactly it's the same cool. thing.
1: But it's a minor sound, sounding chord over the major chord.
0: hmm
1: And that, that makes that, the six nines all the more jarring when they show up. So there's there's one there's one song, I think it's uh Tiger Rag. That might not be Django. Uh, but anyway, there's one that I remember where you'll hear Django play and it's, it, it'll make you jump if your volume is too high and you're wearing headphones and it comes out of nowhere, I think in his soloing. And I went to Mr. Spencer, our professor I was like, what is he doing here? Like, I get that I can't get this tone just cause I don't have a gypsy guitar, but what exactly is there? And he's just like, Oh, it's just this. And it's just six, nine chords chromatically going up. And I'm like, you stinker. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He knew what it was immediately. He didn't have to figure it out. He just knew exactly what it was right out of the gate. And now I get it is that it was was kind of an easy sell because I'm sure he was aware of the fact that Django played six chords. So there's really only one good answer to what might he have used. You just have to put it in the right spot and bam, you got it. And the reason it's so jarring is because it's a 6-9, so now it's, it's more of a major sound over what is mostly minor.
0: Right. Man, jazz is cool, isn't it? Yeah. I just love <laughs> so much stuff about this. And then Django did what he called a, a, a bebop waltz, the 3-4 mm-hmm. stuff. What, what was so interesting about that? That seems like, I mean, jazz waltz is a common thing, but why did he call his a bebop waltz?
1: Well, I think a lot of it is because of the bebop language that transferred over. Um, There's the fact that their 3-4 playing was much faster than the waltzes that were common in Europe because waltz was, it was still popular. So you had all the classics that had hundreds of thousands of different waltzes out there for ballroom dancing and such. And this was a waltz. But it was significantly faster. There's no way that you're gonna get away with dancing a waltz dance to this speed of a waltz. And the <laughs> language was bebop improvising. So it only naturally went together as that it's a bebop waltz. And gotcha. um, and I think a lot of that comes from I, I'm jumping ahead in our notes, but I don't really care. It works right now. Uh the 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 waltz was probably inspired by Django also listening to French classical uh, composers apparently a mm-hmm. lot of his playing although he's heavily inspired by american jazz musicians he was also inspired by the french legends like debussy and Barret, or however the french say it <laughs> but there's a lot of th- those guys that uh that you could just go all the way down through the list of they were French and they were classical legends. So Django heard them and he loved them. Debussy was like a th- top of the list, which I can go all in on that one and be like, yep, of course that one inspired you because Debussy was basically a jazz player.
0: <laughs> right. Of course. Yeah. Debussy was pretty amazing. Uh, and I think that just goes to show too the how Django wasn't just a guitarist or you know, a guitar player or... A jazz guy, or whatever you want to call him, he was a musician. Like he just, he was, he loved music, which he was I think and is through, musician, right? Which I think is part of why gypsy jazz is still around because it had aspects of all sorts of different type of music. It wasn't just all right. Let's just take jazz and play it fast on our acoustic guitar,
1: right? Right. It was. It was truly bringing it in. So when it's a it's a bebop waltz, like it's a waltz that's inspired by the popular waltz, like you can mm-hmm. still hear that. Um, romantic. Uh, the 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 just the beauty of the waltz in this faster temp- right. in this faster tempo. So you, the improviser he's playing t- like he's falling in love with some girl, and the lead player is playing at the speed of light, and you can barely catch up to him because he ate too many hedgehogs. But <laughs> 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 which I didn't mention earlier. But uh, do remember if you're going to be a lead player in in Gypsy Jazz, it's not about playing fast. Like, yeah, they play fast, but don't overplay. A lot of the time, the it's hard to find a good Gypsy Jazz player just because a lot of the time they play so fast, it's too much. They get a bit too Steve Aie, where they're throwing too many notes and not enough music. Right. And yeah, Django, Django the had the choice. beautiful, beautiful ability to play fast while making it sound perfect. And that's not some sort of bias. That's just his talent was to play fast tempos musically. He could do that. And yeah. he didn't He didn't always play a bajillion notes. He leaves a lot of
0: space. He well, really like does. The, the minor swing. He leaves mm-hmm. a lot of space in minor swing. And the lines that he plays are very lyrical. They're not just all start at the bottom and race to the top as fast as I can and then go back down. They have a lot of really, really good contact. If you mm-hmm. took a Django Reinhardt solo and slowed it down from like 200 beats a minute down to like 80 beats a minute, you'd probably have a beautiful ballad. Pretty yeah, much every he time. He actually of had melodic so ideas
1: open. in his improvising.
0: Right. Kind of like Charlie Parker's improvisations were like that. I don't like the written melodies that Charlie Parker did all the time, but his improvisation—if you slowed it down—a lot of times you'd have some really pretty melodies.
1: Yes, yeah, he was a wonderful improviser, and I—I I said this before we started recording when we were talking about it. Uh, it's really similar to the way a lot of saxophone players will try to play like Coltrane by playing too many harsh notes, mm-hmm. and it sounds bad, and it's confusing, and no one really likes it, and then people walk away thinking. Jazz sucks. I don't. I don't like this. I'm never going to a jazz club again. It's because that person isn't interpreting Coltrane's style properly, or just hasn't made it there yet. Right? Because um, yes, Coltrane is incredibly difficult to replicate because of his sheets of sound techniques. And if you want to go for that, go for it, and make sure you're in the proper context to use it. But a lot of players will try to do that and misinterpret it as playing as fast as I possibly can.
0: <laughs> They'll yeah. play a wall of sound uh, yep. instead of a yeah, sheet of Yeah, it's the sound. brick
1: wall of all the notes in your face, and it, that doesn't feel good.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Coltrane gives you well, bed sheets. Uh, they give
1: music, you a sheet of bricks.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like with any music, you have to remember, there's only 12 notes, and there's only been 12 notes for like 700 years. I mean, so what do you you have to work with the same 12... You can't just play them really fast. It won't be interesting. Playing them fast with the right combinations are amazing, but just taking those 12 notes and just, um, you know, it, it's not interesting to just play the same thing super, super fast over and over again. If, if you just rip the scale from the bottom to the top all the way up the fingerboard and then do your arpeggio on the way down or whatever, you know, it's, it's not melodic. You have to be able to sing with it. and. Honestly, I mean, you got 12 notes to work with. You don't have to do... I mean, there's nothing groundbreaking. You're never going to come up with the idea that nobody else has done in music. I guarantee it. Like, if you look at... um, Like, Matt, you put in the notes here. If you take uh, Django's playing, give him a gretch and slow it down a little bit, you're going to have Chet, uh, Chet style playing, that old country sound, which is 100% true. Mm-hmm. Like, even though they did not work together, they were not... Even, I mean, they weren't, it's not like they were thinking, Let me. oh, I hear what he's doing. I'm going to play it faster and come up with something different. Or Chet probably was not listening to Django being like, what if I slow this down on this other guitar? He was just playing something that he liked. You know, you still come up. It's almost the same, just played slightly different. So Mm -hmm. there's no new ideas. It's just how you're applying it.
1: Yeah, a lot of Chet uh, and early Les Paul, well, say early Les, but just Les Paul in general. He didn't really change that much. Les Paul's just a slower player than, than Chet. It's kind of the right. miles and Coltrane difference. Chet and Les. Chet was hyper fast and Les was nice and slow. But um if uh part of what I saw is a uh when my research was a video that had a a guy in um Liverpool who loves gypsy jazz and plays it? That's that's his his thing. But it's not that popular in Liverpool. Jazz itself isn't, but mm-hmm. co- old country is. So he literally goes to uh, the club, and him and another player play hollow body electrics, and it sounds like Chet, but they're playing gypsy repertoire, and it right so it. That's the only change that was necessary to make the the gypsy sound turn into old country, which I never really thought about that much. I know I'd like in passing vaguely noticed, but not to the point of you can literally just play this on electric guitars and boom, you're playing mm-hmm. chat. Well, uh, it, It's in, not like everything chat gypsy- because you don't have the finger style at all. Gypsy j- right. jazz uses a, a pick. Uh, but it's still this very, very similar in feel because Chet played a lot of swing stuff. You might think of him as old country, but if you go back and listen to it, he's he's very jazzy for a country dude.
0: <laughs> right. Speaking of uh, picks, I ordered the, uh, the picks this morning for our Patreon subscribers. Aha! A plug! So a plug! Hopefully we'll have those in a couple weeks and we'll get them mailed out to everybody. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, yeah, it's... It's just so cool to me how little things make that big of a difference. Like the other thing about Gypsy Jazz is to me, when you listen to it, I think it sounds, it sounds like bebop just with an acoustic guitar, no drum kit. And I mean, it's played fast. It's got the note choice. Everything is the same. Just the tones are different, Mm. which I just think is so cool. I mean, Charlie Parker was playing bebop on his tenor or yeah, on his altos and whatever. And he's got all this crazy stuff going on and he's got a drummer and he's got a piano player and a, a bass player. And then you got over in France, you got Django doing the same exact thing, except he doesn't have any of that other junk just his guitar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's so cool to me. It's uh pretty incredible. The other thing I think is really interesting about gypsy jazz. Well, actually before I get to that point, uh, Matt, tell us about that Hungarian gypsy minor scale.
1: Oh, yeah. So if you... A lot of the time, like I said, you can play arpeggios. Mm-hmm. You can practice those because that there's heavy use of arpeggiating. And that, that comes from the accordion. That's That's one of the techniques that they got from that. But you can also use just a scale. And what scale would you use? Well, it's always a minor scale. And <laughs> you can then use the harmonic minor scale and then it gets a bit beboppy by the hungarian gypsy minor scale which is pretty much a bebop harmonic minor because it just adds a flat five to it not changing five to flat five just adding a flat five so also
0: it, adds the passing tone kind of like the blues scale does
1: precisely yeah it's like a harmonic minor blues scale
0: <laughs> that's actually really interesting
1: Hmm. Yeah, it, except it,
0: you'd play the six too.
1: I honestly would just use this for my harmonic minor in general. To be honest, I—I I, I mean, I'm pretty sure I already do. But you can think with the mindset of using this in your playing just because it's a good scale. It's better than the blues scale because the blues scale doesn't really work outside of the blues.
0: Well, and it lays really nice on guitar. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: harmonic minor is stupidly useful. But uh, if you can spice it up even a
0: little bit more, there you go. I mean, there's a lot of chromaticism in gypsy jazz, so that yes. makes sense that they would do that.
1: Yeah, very bebop.
0: It's that's pretty cool. So I feel like we've uh, covered gypsy jazz pretty well. Uh, yeah. The I've- only other thing you can do is just to listen to it. That's how we did most of our research was by listening because man, you can find so much cool stuff that way.
1: Yeah, I wanted to, okay, uh, like before I finish stuff, I wanted to talk a little on uh, Django later in his life. One of okay. the bi- biggest things that he did in his lifetime is he came over to America to live his dream because he always dreamed of coming over here and having the American dream and playing with these great jazz musicians he grew up listening to and admiring. So he came over here and because he was invited to play with Duke Ellington. And in uh, 1946, he was playing with with Duke Carnegie Hall. And it wasn't what Django thought it would be. The reception of him and his playing wasn't amazing. They they didn't appreciate him that much. And there was such a language barrier because he spoke French and he was basically illiterate. He c- couldn't read and write very well. Uh, he, he didn't have schooling. He just grew up b- as a musician. But Uh, There were people that taught him some very vague reading and writing to to help him out a little bit and be able to sign autographs because he couldn't even spell his own name. But that still wasn't enough to really be comfortable in America. So one of the notorious stories is he was very late to a Carnegie Hall with Duke Ellington gig because he'd met some popular boxer in a bar lost track of time talking to him then when he he ran out to catch the gig he got in the taxi and accidentally gave the taxi driver the wrong address because of the language barrier and was very late and duke was very mad about it
0: (laughs) not only that but the critics were very mad about it and basically blacklisted him
1: yeah he got he got blasted be because of that and so he came home to uh and uh, I believe this would be after he would have fled Paris in the first place because of uh, World War II. The uh, he because he was so popular, he was a legend. So e- even though the Nazis had moved into Paris and ha- were uh, inhabiting the city and were in control, it which, if you remember, the Nazis hated the Gypsies, so they were part of the people in the Holocaust. Du- uh, Duke. Django was ignored because he was a famous, he was basically a a Parisian celebrity and a famous guitar player. And the, the officers would come and listen to him in the club. Eventually he was, um, he was invited to come to Germany, to Berlin to play there. And that's, that's when he fled the city and, and he left and didn't assumedly go back until the war was over. That's probably when he went over. Um, to America,
0: but it's crazy.
1: Not too long after that, in 1953, that's when he he passed away to a fatal stroke at the age of 43, I believe. So he he passed away pretty doggone young. But he's he's yeah. basically now this legendary god of the gypsies at this point. Like everyone knows who he is. He's a European treasure because he is like the sole greatest contributor to american jazz like they they really haven't contributed that much to jazz besides Django, who's one of the biggest voices in all yeah. of jazz because he's inspired all jazz guitarists if well you, if you want to play jazz and you don't know Django, shame on you
0: yeah i often forget that he played almost his entire life not in the states because he's such mm-hmm. a big influence here i when I think of him, I think, you know, he came over because of Duke Ellington or whatever. Sometimes I forget that he, that he left and went back.
1: We don't even have recordings of him playing with Duke.
0: Yeah. Isn't no recordings, you no know studio also,
1: sessions, nothing.
0: And you know what's even more amazing about the fact that Duke invited him over is that Duke didn't use guitar players, like, ever. He did not, yeah. Almost never. I think that's the only example off the top of my head that I can think of of him playing with a guitarist.
1: I know that it happened very very rarely but he, right he did and i don't think it was like duke hated guitar players no it just wasn't part of his style like count basie and freddie green they had their thing that that, mm-hmm. that was that style in big band so duke and then just charlie didn't christian oh
0: yeah yeah exactly well duke was all about using what he had to make different soundscapes with like the fun he used a lot of the fun sounds the plungers and that sort of thing he was
1: uh, a jazz orchestra composer
0: Correct. And I think that's why he didn't use the guitar as much, because at that time, the guitar wasn't an amplified instrument. So it was really hard for it to keep up with big band
1: mm-hmm.
0: and for him to use it the way he would have wanted to. I think he would have. I, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think if Duke Ellington were writing today, writing for jazz stuff, that I think he would have used the guitar more of like a Pat Metheny sort of way. Exactly. Yeah. Or that's a West Montgomery sort of way. Mm-hmm. Probably more Pat Metheny than West Montgomery. but. I think that's more how he would have used it. And it just didn't work because he didn't have the amplification and everything.
1: Probably. It was just a, a trouble instrument, I guess.
0: No, I could be wrong. I've never read anything that said that, but that's just from listening to him. I think that's what I would gather. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would wrote. say that's
1: a, that's a fair collection of thoughts on it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we do have a mailbag question that we want to answer. Uh, Oh, yeah. Matt I actually already asked you the question, and so you gave me your answer already. But we're going to go ahead and, and answer it on our show here. So we got this question from our friend Josie, who went to college with. She's a very good guitar player. I love playing with her. Um, she messaged us on Instagram, and she asked when you're when you play or think of scales, you think of the notes, fingering, or scale degree numbers, or something entirely different. Uh, And I just want to put this in context real quick because I answered the question completely wrong at first because I didn't (laughs) understand the way she was asking. Uh, And actually, the question you gave me, Matt, or the answer you gave me didn't actually answer her question right either. So she wanted to know in context of doing exercises to learn your fingerboard and to work through uh, songs and scales, that sort of thing, not in a life situation.
1: Oh,
0: See, I took it wrong. I was thinking in a live situation. So the way I originally answered it was, it depends on, like, if I'm playing in church, I normally think of numbers. If I'm playing in jazz, I think of the letters because there's so much more going on. And then I never think about my fingerings in that situation. It just goes the way it goes. And I just hope that, I just, I learned a a phrase from one of my, my first lesson teacher. He always said, trust your training. And so I don't think about numbers because I just trust that I've learned the fingerings the right way. Mm. And if I mess it up, I mess it up and I go back later to fix it. But what she was talking about in context of exercises, uh, she got, she said that she got this question because of our Nashville number uh, episode. She wanted to, it made her think more about practicing, thinking about scale degrees instead of note names to help her be able to transpose faster. Yes. So in that context, Matt, what do you, what do you generally do?
1: Hmm. As far as exercises go, I think it almost it goes into context again, just because <laughs> say I'm drilling a scale, then I'm probably, I'm thinking of the shape. I really am. Okay. To get it under my fingers. that That's what I do is uh, say I wanted to learn something new, like the Hungarian gypsy minor scale. I would get the shape first. The mm-hmm. the context of what scale degrees are there, I would probably have the one and the five. Those two would be um, always in my mind in the shape because everything else stems off of those two anyway. So if you right. know where those are, I think we all have our one, two, threes good enough to get the rest if you're nearby one of them. So... Right. With that in mind, so you get that shape in well, I get that shape in and I drill the crap out of it until my fingers can play that shape with me just thinking that I want that scale, boom, and it'll go. And um I know that a lot of uh teachers say play it very, very slow first. And yes, I will. I will play it slow for like 30 seconds. And Mm -hmm. then I break into getting it to uh, Mr. Keith Cooper speed, where you (laughs) just try to fly through it. And I'm I'm pretty much just nailing the shape into my fingers at that point and thinking about that one and five and where those are because uh, harmonically a lot of that just helps with a lot of different contexts maybe you need a flat five maybe you need a flat nine uh, maybe you need a flat three I can find all those things because I know where the one and five are religiously and, mm-hmm. and all of the ones and fives not just one one okay. and one five so if there's one at the bottom I know where that is if there's one at the top I know where that is if there are fives I know where those are everything else I, I'll learn them they, they'll happen <laughs> Because I know my numbers, okay. so I'll be I'll be fine with those. And it's so rare that I really whip out some different scale that I don't already have under my fingers. Anyway, if I'm playing a diminished scale, I'm not thinking of anything except the diminished scale shape. <laughs> I really am not. Right. Like I'll start it in the place that it needs to start, and then I'll play that doggone scale shape. But I do not really think of the notes that are there. I'll I'll totally mm-hmm. admit. That And that's not the best way to think of it. I would rather know the notes that I'm playing. But at that moment, I'm whipping out the the diminished texture. That's what that was.
0: Right. Um, Okay.
1: Otherwise, I would say that 90% of the time in exercises and in practice, I'm thinking in harmony. I'm trying to think of where is what, what is what what am I doing? Where does that go and what does it matter harmonically? Where can I use this? What many ways can I use this? Uh, what chords does this go to? Um, what ways can I change it depending on the harmony? Like that, usually that's what I tried to think of, mostly because I've been wanting to uh, improve my harmonic abilities and my ability to manipulate harmony. So that I could right. have more of a um you know a step further uh that like I could hold my own say if I hopped in with Robert Glasper and his more r and b experimental harmonies over jazz standards because he wouldn't use the just the real book changes there's a lot of substitutions and very interesting manipulation of of harmony to get. A um, much darker sound most of the time, to be honest. Mm-hmm. With um, and then everything else is is, is rhythmic. But okay. I I think that that's what I usually think of because I trust myself with my with my rhythm. I trust myself with scale degrees. I, I can find my numbers, and um, like I like you said, the the numbers versus letters depends on context. Uh, simpler right. styles, I just think of numbers that way. It's easy for me to transpose for singers and I don't have to worry at all. I can just do that. And they think it's the most craziest magic in the world. And if I'm playing in jazz, I'm thinking in letters because I like it. I don't know. (laughs)
0: Right. Okay. So what I do now, um, when I first started learning bass, I learned scale shapes, like what you were saying. And I learned my fingering. So when I first learned it, I thought, of my fingering, so two, four, one, two, four, one, three, four, and I drilled that in my mind until I felt like I didn't have to think about fingering. Uh, the only times I think about fingering now is when I'm trying to learn a lick and a tune. Like, if I'm trying to, like, when I was learning Donna Lee, I thought mm-hmm. a lot about fingering for how to figure out the best way to approach it. But when I'm working on exercises through scales and that sort of thing, I used to think about fingering, then I started thinking about scale degrees. So. I stopped thinking about, okay, what what finger should I use here and started thinking about okay what is this in context of the scale. And the reason I did that was because I associated the fingerings with the scale degrees. So instead of thinking two, four, one, two, four, one, three, four, I thought one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And so now even if I'm just standing around, if I like if I'm at work and I'm just tapping my fingers on a desk, I'll sometimes be thinking about what scale degree would this be on my base. It's really weird. Uh, I get that, But then I stopped thinking that way. And so now I actually think about note names when I'm practicing my scales. The reason I started doing that is because I wanted to make sure that I learned my fingerboard 100% top to bottom all the way through without any hiccups. So that way I could just pick out a note anywhere and just say, okay, I want to play this B flat and grab it on, you know, the third fret of the G string or the 15th fret or whatever it is and just go straight to it and not have to think about it.
1: Yeah, and, I, I wouldn't want to brag, but teaching has really ironed out the rest of the fingerboard under my fingers. Right. So,
0: exactly. It is, helps That is a true.
1: Lot. It, until you know the entirety of the fretboard, I would focus on that because you want to know right. where all those notes are because I think it's a little bit easier to uh, say you're, for one, if you're composing like chord melody, you need to know where those notes are. If you right. don't, it will be a pain and, in the butt. It'll be the hardest thing you've ever done if you don't know where all the notes are.
0: Yeah, and not that I didn't know my fingerboard before, but it just helped me yeah. know it even better now. And I think it's helped my improvisation get out of playing scales and get into playing melodies. Mm-hmm. Because, Matt, I'm sure you will 100% agree with this statement. I used to play scales for my chords, or for my improvisations. I didn't play melodies. Right, right. I was very, I'd play an arpeggio and then a scale or whatever. You know, if it was a, a two, five, one, I'd play the scale of the two, the scale of the five, and the scale of the one, and I thought I was doing pretty good. Oh, I but now too, to I'm trying to think more of singing through my lines and making phrases. And so learning, thinking about notes instead of scale degrees has helped me a lot with that.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: So, anyways, I feel like that answers those questions pretty well.
1: I think another thing that I do that, is really, really weird. I don't know if anyone on the planet does this. There has to be somebody. There's nothing new under the sun. But (laughs) I was thinking about about this question while I was driving on my long, long, long commutes, and I realized that part of what I think about with music, uh, I don't think this really has to do with the exercises, but key choices and where the scales are, I kind of associate colors with a lot of them. Like... Uh, C is just a straight-up yellow in my my brain. I don't know why C is yellow, but it is. And then the deeper you go into the sharps, the more red it gets. Where if you start with F, F is green in my head for some reason. So sometimes G is too. I don't know why. This is where it gets weird. Tommy can ship me off to the asylum now. But the deeper you go into the flats, the closer it gets to purple. So G flat is straight up purple royal tone in my mind, whereas uh, D flat and A flat are just a perfect blue. So like that, that's why my favorite keys are oddly enough, the colors that are closely associated with what I like in my mind, A flat, D flat and G flat. It's where my brain's colors are because I like a nice, nice blue, purple, periwinkle, all those colors. Whereas on the sharp side of the things, I'm just like, Pfft, nah, no, I don't want those. No, I don't want E. I'm not a typical guitar player. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I don't know if anyone really thinks that way. But I, when I, uh, the more I thought about that and um, and realized that, yeah, my brain has always done that for a long time. It just never, I haven't really put that into words before. I was like, that actually... It it makes sense. Like a lot of the time when I'm playing solos, I will be uh, nice and comfy in my blue zone, and then slip some red in there to be like, ha ha! Here's some harshness, and and go into those keys that have those colors there. And um, I don't know if there's much. Uh, weight behind that, but hey, the, the if you can find fun ways to think about your your uh, your music and your improvising, go for it.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I've never really thought about it like that. All right, guys. Well, thank you for tuning in this week. Uh, if you want to support us, you can check out our Patreon page. It's uh, Patreon. dot slash just the basics. That's where you can support us because we don't have ads in our show. So if you want to help keep the show alive, that's where you can uh, go ahead and do- donate uh get free stuff like uh early access episodes and that sort of thing. So if you're interested go check that out over there. Otherwise, go ahead and share this episode with your friends, like, comment, subscribe, whatever you're supposed to do, I don't know. Smash like, I don't know. I think Smash that's stupid. When people say blue. that. <laughs> Ring the bell. Ring the bell. Yeah. What bell? I don't I've never figured that one out. Anyways, all right guys, we'll see you guys next week. See ya.